Okay, let's start this all over again for the sake of the recording, okay? We've been in the book of Joshua. We've been looking at what it means to, to be on conquest. You know, as Brother John and Sister Cindy go out to Seattle, they're going out there to conquer a campus. And that's a great mission, to conquer a campus. But God has given us a land, a land he promised to us, and that's where we are right now. That's Raleigh, North Carolina. That's Durham. That's Wake Forest. It's Chapel Hill. It's wherever we are, our homes are a point from which we conquer our neighborhoods and our neighbors. We don't conquer them to suppress them. We conquer them to bring them into the light. In the Bible studies yesterday, we talked about Isaiah. And Isaiah says, for those who are living in deep darkness, a light has come. And that's Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? We are the light bearers in our communities. Our homes are lighthouses that bring that. In order for us to do that, though, in order for us to be those people, those conquering souls, we need to be ready both in body and in soul. Be ready both in body and in soul. Sometimes you can be ready mentally or you can be ready spiritually, but you haven't prepared your body to go into it. And sometimes we prepare the body. We train, we go to the gym, but we're not ready spiritually for the things that God is going to have us do. I want us to look today at Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Do you recognize this picture, church? Anybody know who this is? This is a paraplegic young man in a wheelchair. And he wanted to run in a marathon. He's paraplegic. He can't run. To do that, his father, his father had to train for that marathon. His father was the legs that propelled his son through that marathon. The son had the soul, had the spirit ready, but it took the father to provide the body. Now there's a lot to that lesson. There's a lot to why that was chosen. But you're going to see that picture. I want you to consider that. If this father had so much love for his son that he would be his legs, he would be his heart and lungs, he would propel him to his vision, what more can we do now that God has made us whole in Jesus Christ? Amen? Consider this. To take the land, to prosper, we must discipline our bodies. Now, that's a word that nobody likes, discipline, because most of us lack it, especially when it comes to eating, like yesterday. I'll confess that sin later. Anyways, let's get into it. Joshua 5, 1 through 8. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, they lost heart. Underline that in your Bible. When the pagan sees what God does, they lose heart. Any man can fight any man. Any team can fight any team, but you cannot fight a living God and win. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Understand, when God is at work in your life, you cannot be stopped because God cannot be stopped. Now look at this. They lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. They saw what God was doing in them. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gilbreth Haraloth. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. Now here we go. This is why he had to do it again. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they had come out of Egypt. Remember, disobedience, 40 years in the wilderness, they're all dead. 
though all the people who came out were circumcised, came out of Egypt were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. That's a problem. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their fathers to give, a land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua raised up their sons in their place. It was these he circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. Let's stop right there and examine this. The discipline of the body. What was so important about circumcision to the Old Testament people? Circumcision begins in Genesis 17. It's a symbol that he gives to Abraham. He says, by this, people will know that you are my people. You know, I always talk about my wedding ring, right? Okay, this was a week of rapid stupidity. Does anybody see a problem with this hand? This is not my wedding ring. Your genius pastor lost his wedding ring. Thank God my wife didn't leave me. Because she could have seen the opportunity and said, you know what? He has no ring. There's no evidence. I can run. No. She wouldn't do that. I lost it at the gym. I went back several times. Nobody found it. Nobody turned it in. After 24 hours with no ring on my finger, I was so schizophrenic, I ran to JCPenney to get a replacement. You know why? Because I am a married man. I should be marked as a married man. Can I get an amen from at least the women? Amen. Thank you. It's a symbol on my hand that says, I belong to my wife. Very important symbol. I don't need this to be married legally to my wife. I need this because I need the world to know who I belong to. Amen? That's why I need it. Now, here's the thing. God gave a covenant to Abraham, and the covenant would go to his descendants. The way they were to mark themselves was through circumcision of the men. That was the obvious way of doing it. It was a cut into their flesh, a symbol that could not be removed. That's really important. When you come to Jesus Christ, your life should be marked by that decision. You guys met. Six months later, you got engaged, and then you got married. Then you were marked. Now, I know, I know some people who have actually had their wedding rings tattooed onto their finger. You know why? Because the husbands are, are bumblers like me, and they'll lose them. But they have it tattooed on there so that their life is permanently marked by who they belong to. That's what Israel was doing. And when they were in Egypt, they still circumcised their men because they wanted them to know who they belong to. Day by day, do you know who you belong to? We met with the young professionals, and we talked about how many times during the day does it cross your mind that you belong to a sovereign, holy, mighty, powerful, just God. How many times every day do you stop and go, wow, my God is awesome. My God can take me through cancer. My God can take me through a lost job. My, job, my, my God can take me through trouble with my spouse or my children. My God is mighty. You see, I had to go get this ring back because I didn't feel right without it being on there. And I think if a day goes by that I don't think about my God 
and praise him for his goodness and praise him for his justice and mercy, I would feel strange. Yet there are believers who go through days or weeks and they never stop to pray. They never open the word. They never kneel down and offer God the thanks that is due his name. Isn't that strange that a Christian, a born again believer purchased by the blood of Jesus could go a day without thinking about the God who saved them? You know how I found out my ring was gone? I have a bad habit of flicking it. I flick it and turn it all day long because it took me 30 years to find her. I'm not going to forget that blessing right there. I did this and it wasn't there. I knew instantly something was wrong. As soon as it happened, I knew something was wrong. That's how it should be with us and God when we're not in prayer, when we're not giving him glory, when we're not mentioning him. Deuteronomy 6 says, speak about the Lord all day long. Speak about it with your husband, with your children, with your co-workers, with your friends. Speak about it when you go to the grocery store or when you go to the gym. Uh, the, guy that, the guy that runs the gym I go to, he's a strong Christian. So we'll sit up there and, and both of us are loud and we'll talk about Jesus and we'll talk about salvation. And, and there's all these people standing around looking at us who think we're mental. We're not mental, we're in love with God. And it's gonna come out, amen? If you love your wife, it's gonna come out. Gentlemen, amen? Yes. Ladies, you're so grateful to God that you have a husband. You never let a day go by without saying, you know what, honey, you are such a blessing. Amen? Amen. Slide to me, make me feel better, please. No, we should every day tell the gift of God that we enjoy them, that we love them. That should be part of who we are. It should spill out. But you know what? Deuteronomy 10 is also important when we consider this. See, it says they had to circumcise their flesh because in the wilderness there was no time to stop. Remember, the tent of meeting was erected. The cloud descended on the tent. While the tent remained covered, Israel stayed in camp. When the cloud lifted, Israel packed up, and when the cloud moved, they moved. Israel followed every movement of the Lord. So there was no time to circumcise the men, no time to circumcise and let them heal and go through those appropriate things. No time. So while they were in the wilderness, they never did what they were supposed to do to mark their covenant with God. But now they've come across the Jordan. They are in the promised land. They have built that pillar of 12 stones. Joshua's in the river. The peoples are on the land. Now they're facing Jericho. They're in the plains. Before they can step into all that God has for them, they need to reestablish that covenant. I said we need to discipline our bodies. I think we need to discipline ourselves to do the things necessary to be ready to serve God. I think we should take care of ourselves physically. I think we should be ready to go. If God says, I want you to go to the Philippines and do disaster relief, you should be physically able to do that if God's going to call you. We should take care of ourselves. We should never make ourselves so weak or so poisoned with things that we can't be obedient to God. Now, I'm not saying there's not addictions out there. Everyone falls prey to addictions. I have, others have. And those addictions make us weak and they make us un incapable of following God fully. Well, praise God when he delivers you from that, you want to stay delivered, amen? In your body, in your mind, you need to be free and ready to go wherever God takes you at any one time. I'm not going to say we don't need to be addicted to coffee because, well, that's just not good. When you're from Seattle, coffee is the lifeblood of the universe. 
you start on it at five o'clock in the morning when you wake up and you finish your 10th cup by noon. <laughs> you, know, you need it. But we really shouldn't be dependent on anything. But this is what it says in Deuteronomy. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked anymore. So circumcision is more than just cutting of the body. It's more than that. Because in, Deut in uh, Jeremiah 4.4 4 and in Romans 2.29, it talks about what it means to be a Jew. He says this, a, Jew, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart. Therefore, obey the Spirit. You understand what that means? Circumcision was a fleshly thing. It was on the outside. But there's a, there's a part beyond that. It's the circumcision of the heart. You see, the Jews in Jesus' day, they kept circumcision. Eighth day, went down, had the kids circumcised. That's the highest level of the vitamin K in a child's body. It promotes clotting. And there's all these medical reasons why the eighth day is the perfect day. Isn't it great how God knew medicine before there was medicine? Isn't that great how God does that? Anyways, the discipline that we need in our bodies is to be obedient. Here's the thing. People don't go to church on Sunday morning because they stay up too late on Saturday night. We need to discipline ourselves to go to bed so we can wake up. People fall asleep in church on Sunday morning because the pastor's boring, right? Oh, yeah, there we go. That's what I thought you said. I once noticed some people nodding off in church. I said, are you, are you okay? Are you sleeping all right? Well, I've been reading. What, what have you been reading? They were reading the uh, Twilight series when it came out. <laughs> Did I have fun with that one? Oh, boy. I said, so, so what time did you finish reading Twilight? Four o'clock in the morning. You stayed up till four o'clock in the morning reading about vampires, and you tried to get here for Sunday school? Well, I didn't make Sunday school. What time did you come into church? This is when church started at 9.30. What time did you get to church? 10.40. You came for the last five minutes to church, and you still slept. Do you see a problem with that? It's a lack of discipline there. There's a lack of discipline of actually getting up and saying, God is important enough for me to go to bed so that I can sleep eight hours, so that I can wake up, so that I can sit down at a table, have a morning devotional, focus upon the Lord, and that's a physical thing. What's our number one excuse for not doing devotionals? I'm too tired. Well, if you wait till two seconds before you go to sleep to have a devotional, are you going to make it through? No. You need to discipline your body to do what's necessary to make you a good servant of the Lord. I know that seems like a stretch, but it's not a stretch. Because the discipline of the body leads to the next point that Joshua makes. Joshua 5, 9 through 12. He takes this idea of disciplining the body, because for the Jews it was important for their body to be different than everybody else's. But then in Deuteronomy he says it's not just the body, it's the heart also. And in Joshua 5, 9 through 12, he says, we need to discipline our hearts. See how one flows into the other? Look at what it says. Verse 9. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they kept the Passover. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, the day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain, from the produce of the land, and the day after they ate from the produce of the land, I already read this to you, the manna ceased. You need to mark that. That is a change, a fundamental change that
that for 40 years had been the hallmark of the Israelite people. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. This is important. That discipline of the body, reestablishing that covenant with God was critical because they were about to do something important. You realize the place Gilgal means a circle. What I have discovered in my reading is that Gilgal most likely before this was a circle of pagan altars. You know, if you go to England, you've got that Stonehenge place. That's a circle of pagan altars. You have many stone circles throughout, uh, throughout Europe. And they believe those were, you know, primitive astronomy places and they were places of worship and they were other types of, 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 of places. They were always in circles. So it's possible when they arrived, this place had been a place of, sta- of stone altars. But now it was something different. Now said, what is what the Lord saying tonight? He says, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. What disgrace is he talking about? They had just been circumcised, right? They had reestablished the covenant with God. Now they had been in Egypt for how long? 400 years? Don't you think a little bit of the Egyptian culture had sneaked into their worship? Don't you think a little bit of the, of the Egyptian idolatry had sneaked into their lives? Consider this, church. How many of your attitudes are based solely, strictly, reservedly on the word of God? And how many of your attitudes have been informed by the culture in which you live? We were talking among the young professionals yesterday about homosexuality and my view of homosexuality. And I said, well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. It's wrong. God does not make someone homosexual. If that offends you, I am very sorry. Take it up with God because it's not my opinion, it's his. Here's the thing about that. I equate homosexuality as being no worse than many, many other sexual sins. You have uh, actors and singers and musicians who flaunt how many women they've had relationships with and women who've flaunted how many men they've had relationships with. That's as sick and perverse as homosexuality. It's a disease of the mind. It's a disease of the soul. Now, you know what? If you're not in Christ, if you are not regenerate, if you're not born again, you are under the power and the influence of those diseases. And that's part of why we come to Christ. See, in stripping away the foreskins of the young males, they were stripping away something that was considered important in the ancient culture. There was a lot of mystique that went along with that. And they were stripping that away. And they were stripping away what the world thought. Now he says, I've rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Possibly in Egypt, most likely, they had gotten involved in the worship of bulls, bull calves. Sound familiar to anybody? Big golden thing they built at Sinai, you know, built the big temple, the bull calves. You know it's still there, right? The temple at the bottom of Mount Sinai is still there. And carved into the backsplash are the bull gods of Egypt. You know how we know they're the bull gods of Egypt? Because the Saudi Arabians who looked at it said, that's Egyptian because bulls were never worshipped in Saudi Arabia. Gee, I wonder who would be worshipping bull gods coming from Egypt into Saudi Arabia, building an altar at the foot of a mountain, which is burned halfway down, all the way up, and all the rocks are burned from the outside in. Hmm, who would that be? I don't know. Could it be the Israelites? Could it be the Exodus? Could it be the proof that God did everything he said he was going to do? 
See, it amazes me that we let the world tell us what they think is right when they have no point of reference for what's right. You know, you know, you know my favorite whipping child is the History Channel because they get so much right and they get so much wrong. And they just talk on and on and on about how the Bible came from other myths of its day and they came from other cultures and it was just all pieced together. But we know the Bible is the authentic word of God. It's not informed by anything. It's the foundation for everything. Here's the other thing. Ooh. That ain't the Lord calling? Hang on. No. I was about to use that line. I heard that in the movie, so there it is. Anyways, so he says, Today I've rolled away the disgrace of Egypt. By being circumcised again, these men were making a new start. They were saying, Now I haven't done it right up to this point, but now I'm going to start doing it right. And then this Gilgal, this circle, now they've torn down these altars and Gilgal has become a circle of protection, a circle of sanctuary, a circle of safety as they prepare to take the promised land. That's what it's about. But notice this, they also kept the Passover. How many times had the Jews kept the Passover to this time? See if y'all were awake for that sermon. Well, we know they kept the Passover when they got out of Egypt, right? That's one. We know they got to Mount Sinai and they had one at Mount Sinai. That's two. And that's all we have. Because somewhere along the way, they didn't keep any more Passovers. As I was studying and reading about this, it says this is only the third Passover in the history of Israel. They didn't keep the Passover in the wilderness because from Sinai and that celebration, they went to the Jordan. From the Jordan they sinned, and from the sin of the Jordan they went back into the wilderness, and never again did they keep the Passover. Never again did they honor God, did they honor the time when their lives were spared and their ancestors were set free. Until now. Now they have fixed the body problem. They have, they have fixed that identification issue. Now they are fully identified as God's people. Now they're going to go and they're going to keep the Passover. They're going to reset their hearts on the God who delivered them, on the God who set them free, on the God who brought them into the promised land. What do you do to commemorate your rebirth day? Do you ever do that? We're talking yesterday in one of the Bible studies that many churches have two celebrations for every person. You have a birthday and a rebirth day. Some churches call it a born day and a birthday. The born day is the day you were born. The birthday is when you came into the kingdom by the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. Do you do anything to mark that day? Do you do anything to take note of that day, that there was a day in your life when you came from death into life, when everything about you changed? That's what the Passover is. That's why the Lord's Supper, when we have it every month, that's why we reference the Passover. That commemorates you going from death into life. What do you do on a week-by-week -week basis to remember and celebrate your freedom in Christ? You see, if we're going to be overcomers, if we're going to be these conquering people, if we're going to take Raleigh and Oberlin and that campus for Jesus Christ, we have to have our bodies straightened out. We have to have all that ready. We need to be rested. We need to be prepared. We need to be able to go forward. And that includes our hearts. Have our hearts ready. And here, we need to make sure that our focus is correct. Our focus is correct on what, who God is and what God's doing. Notice his timing was perfect. They celebrated the Passover. Notice what they didn't have. 
Did you guys notice it? Were you paying attention? Okay, it says this. The day, of the, pa- okay, the day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread ah, and roasted grain. Is that part of the Passover service? No, because roasted grain in the Near East is a, is a rare delicacy. They don't get it that often. They don't get roasted grain that much because the grain is usually ground up and used for long-enduring do- long food, right? Okay, so this is something rare. This is something special. This roasted grain and the produce of the land. This marks the change. Remember, they've come across the Jordan. God has sealed the waters behind them. Now they're committed. Now not only are they committed, God has taken away the one thing that they depended on every day, which was the manna. He took away the manna, and now they're going to have to live in the place where God put them. They're going to have to be involved in the land. They're going to have to put their, their shoulder to the plow, as it were, and begin to live in the place where they are. I know a lot of people that don't do that. They go to church, but their heart is not in church. They go to church and they say, oh, how I love Jesus. But really, what they're saying is, I need Jesus to fall back on if everything else fails. You see, while there was manna, they could go, you know what, if I'm a lazy bum, if I don't want to work, if I just want to lay around the house and play video games and and text on my cell phone and do nothing, at least I go out and get three meals a day, right? God says, ain't going to work now. Now you've got to put yourself into it. Now you've got to be committed to it, body, mind, soul, and heart. How much of your heart is in the work of the kingdom? How much of your heart is in fulfilling the reason why you have spiritual gifts. Are you a gifted person? Just say yes, because you know you're gifted. You know that you're a gifted young pastor. You know that you're a gifted man. What are you doing with your gift? God did not give you that gift to make you famous. God did not give you that gift to make you popular. God did not make me super attractive and really interesting just so that I could draw people to myself. Slow, but good. God gives you the gifts you have to bless the church. That's what we talked about all night long. Spiritual gifts are given to bless, to build, and to grow the kingdom of God. But my heart has to be willing to say, I will give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. I am not going to keep it for myself. Many musicians have struggled. Whitney Houston began singing where? In church. Her songs were given to who? The Lord. Then what happened? People told her, Whitney, you can't make money singing for him, but you can make money singing for them. So what did Whitney do? She stopped singing for him and started singing for them. And that's the direction her life took. You can take the gifts that God gives you and you can abuse them and you can turn them back on yourself to profit and to get for yourself what you want. Or you can let your heart be fully committed to the thing that that you have to do for the kingdom. You see, he took away the manna. He closed the river. Where could they go now? Nowhere but forward. Why? You can only scavenge in the rough lands so long. But right in front of them was Jericho. What was Jericho? A walled city. What was in the walled city? Everything they could need. Now that's going to be a test for them. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of corn and grain and weapons and gold and silver in the city. And they might be thinking, okay, 
God, you're going to tell me to go forward, but I'm going to go forward and take for myself. But God's going to put a test in front of them here in just a little bit. But we'll look at that when we get to it. The discipline of our hearts is to be ready for God's timing. If I take my body and say, body, you're going to go to bed. And body, you're going to get rest. And you're going to eat healthy things. And body, you're going to take some exercise so that you can physically do what God calls you to do. And my body, I am going to discipline you not to sit around and play you know, video games 18 hours a day. That's not good for you. You go blind that way. Then I'm going to take my heart and say, heart, you exist to exalt God. You exist to build up the church, to preach the gospel. And that's what I'm going to do with my body. I'm going to take it out of bed on Sunday morning, and I'm going to take it past the television, and I'm going to take it past the computer where I've been texting until 4 a.m., and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to put my attention on the Lord. And then not only that, I'm going to do something when I get there. Take a look at this. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. We discipline our spirits. Okay, we've disciplined our bodies. We're getting up. We're getting breakfast. We're getting enough rest. We're going to church or we're going to Bible study. We're going to go to the missions outreach. We're going to go to the homeless feed. We're going to go to a medical mission. We're going to go wherever God has gifted us to go. And we're going to discipline our heart to seek God and what's best for the kingdom. You know what? If I go outside and I share Christ with somebody and they come to the Lord... And maybe they're Hispanic speaking or they're Spanish speaking and they choose not to come here. You know what? That's okay. You know why? Because it ain't about me. And it ain't about this church. It's about the kingdom of God. Would I want them to come? Do I want them to come here? Yes. Would I love to have them in fellowship with us? Yes. But if they go to another church where they serve the Lord and they worship, is that okay? Yes. Because it's not about building a big church or getting a big building. It's about growing the kingdom of God. And only the Holy Spirit does that, but we have to be willing to be part of the process. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. This is a bad thing, by the way. If you're about to go into a fight, this is not good. This is not With a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? I love this answer. Neither one, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now there's a lot more, and you think, Okay, he's going to go on and read the rest of it. No, that's next week. But I want you to look at this part right here. Before God can deliver the message to us that we need, before God could tell you that's going to be your wife, you had to be in the right place, body and mind and heart, to receive it, right? You had to be prepared to receive. I've been telling people, when you are seeking after something, that is when you are least likely to find it. When you are focusing your attention on what you need for you, that is when you are least likely to receive it from the Lord. It's when your life is dedicated to serving God no matter what. When I met my wife, I had already given up on women. I had washed my hands of y'all. I said, I'm done with them. They are a contrary people. No, I had given up on women. I mean, I was still young, good looking, and skinny, but no, I had given up. Then she walked into my life and God got even with me. He said, oh, you think you're done? Poof. There she was, you know, boom. 
So it was good. But I wasn't seeking her. I was seeking the Lord. And because I was seeking the Lord, he gave me what I needed most in life, which is someone to keep my brain in my head. Anyways, so let's go ahead and take a look at this. So when Joshua got near Jericho, he saw a man with a sword. He says, are you with us or are you with them? He says, I'm with neither one. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Who is this? Who's this person? Anyone know? It's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. Do you know how I know? Church, the answer is always in the text. You don't have to go outside. Look at the text. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground and worshiped. Notice this. Any time in scripture that a man bows to an angel, what's the first thing the angel says? Get on your feet. I am a servant just like you. Daniel tried that mess. Daniel tried to bow down. And the angel said, no, get, get up. I'm not the Lord. You know, just, I'm a servant just like you. Notice this. He allows him to bow down and worship him because he is worthy to be worshiped. What does my Lord, there we go, want to say to his servant? He says, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. You have only seen that a couple times. Mount Sinai, when Moses gets before the burning bush, the bush ain't holy, but the God who is the burning flame is holy. That's how we know this is the Lord, because God has appeared as a man this time, as a man dressed for battle, as a symbol to Joshua of what he must do. He appears as a man in armor, the commander of the Lord's army. He is the one who will lead them against Jericho. He is the one who will win the victory. But he tells them, get those shoes off your feet. This is a holy place because I'm a holy God. Here's the thing, church. Every day, we need to be seeking to know what God is doing. If you are a believer, if you are born again, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit... You need to know that God is always at work in your life. It's not that he works in your life once and then takes a vacation. He just doesn't have one thing for you to do. Here's what you have to understand. Ladies, you get married. You know what you pray for? Oh, God, send my husband on a long vacation somewhere else so I can have a day off. Don't tell me you don't because I know you do. That's what you pray. Lord, send him away on business so I can rest. Guess what? You can take a break from being married while your husband or wife's out of town or out of the house. You never, ever get a break from being God's servant. God bless you. You never get a break from being the Lord's servant. Because, you know, it's just like at 10 o'clock at night when you're trying to go to bed and your wife comes in and lays down on the bed. You know she wants to what? Talk, right? She wants to talk for at least an hour or two or three, depending on the subject. God desires to come and stay with us and talk with us and share with us. He seeks to encourage us. He appears before Joshua as a man arrayed for battle. God is a warrior. He is a fighter. What are you going through that God can't deal with? Nothing. You can go through nothing. Cancer can't beat you. It may cost you physical scars, but it cannot beat you, and you have to know that. You have to know that cancer can't beat you. Our friend was 32 when she found out she had stage 4 cancer. You know, she had two little kids and a husband that loved her. And she found out she had cancer, and she said, you know what? If my God is for me, who can be against me? Stage 4 cancer, y'all, that's like, okay, go ahead, buy the coffin, because you're dead. No. She had a double mastectomy. 
She got chemo that went above and beyond anything I have ever seen. And I've never seen anybody endure that much chemo. In fact, none of us thought she would live to go through that much chemo. But every day she would get up and she would go get on the treadmill. She would discipline her body on that treadmill. And she would come in there and her spirit and her heart were, my God is with me. My God will not abandon me. Even if my God leads me to death, I will follow him because he is my God. Her heart could not be beaten because God was leading. Her spirit was indomitable. And to this day, she is still a phenomenal person. She gets out there and she runs marathons and she is tireless in doing things for breast cancer awareness. You see, if she was just a regular person, she might have laid down and died. But she is the personification of this message. She disciplined her body to fight that cancer. She did what she had to do. She was unafraid of the consequences. She went through the chemo because her heart and her soul told her that God was not done with her. If you go through a day, church, one day, and you feel like God's not talking to you, I'll tell you something. You ain't walking with the Lord. That is harsh, and I'm going to tell you again. You go through a day and God's not talking to you, you are not walking with the Lord. Because the Lord does not stop talking. He does not stop nudging our spirits. He does not stop encouraging us. He does not stop building us up. If you get in the Word of God and you say, oh, there's nothing there for me, sweetheart, check your salvation. Because God's Word, God's word does not return void. It accomplishes a purpose in our lives. I know this sounds harsh because the world says God is in the church. Go visit him on Sunday like your old grandma that smelled like liniment and then go home and live your life. Okay? Sorry. Grandmas who smell like liniment are wonderful people. Well, of course, mine smelled like scotch and bourbon. That's okay. I don't mind that. <laughs> Loved her anyways. No, that is just what it's about. You see, that spiritual time is important. We put the world behind us. Our Jordan River is closed. Guys, there's no going back to the world, okay? This, this, this idea that God is just going to feed us when we do nothing, when we sit there, we pay no attention, we make no effort to go toward him, that's not going to happen. It says the Lord responds, blesses those who believe in him and earnestly seek him. Are you earnestly seeking the Lord day by day? That life is not just for pastors. That is your life. Your life is the day-by-day day pressing in on who God is. Then you will know strength that you've never known. Then you will know peace that you've never known. Then you will know joy that will take you through anything that happens to you, no matter what happens to you. Okay? So let's finish it up. Okay, so do we have the total package? You're sitting here today. You're a believer. Guess what? You're the dad pushing behind because there's somebody out there in the world, there's somebody who's lame and broken, who doesn't know Jesus. There's somebody out there that needs to understand the love of God. And just like this father had no desire to run a marathon. He did it for the sake of his son. Maybe you have no desire to be a missionary in your workplace, a missionary in your home, in your family, but that is who God has called you to be. One, each of us must keep his body unto the Lord. We put away those things that are destructive to the body, those things that are destructive to the mind and the spirit. There are so many things that assail the church today that make us physically weak and sick. And one of those things is we need to get up in the morning and seek the Lord. 
We need to have enough sleep so that we have energy. You know what? Turn the TV off. Put the book away. Turn off the video games. Make sure that your body is rested so that you can respond to the Lord. It also says deny the flesh in any way that it seems appropriate. You know, there's a lot of young believers today that think it's okay to go out drinking heavy on Saturday night and come to church with a hangover. You know why I yell so much on Sundays? Just in case y'all have that philosophy. I figure if you're going to be here, I'm going to make you pay. Just kidding. No. Done that a few times. Anyways, every believer must place their full trust in God's provision, both in spiritual matters and worldly matters. It's not enough to trust God after you're dead. You have to trust God when you go into the lion's jaws, when you go into the campus at UW. Believe me, you'll pay a price for going there. But you pay that price. And you trust God to give you the provision that you need, the money, the friends, the spiritual support, the prayer cover. It will be there for you. And just because you're not going as missionaries, you need as much prayer cover as they do so that you can shine for Christ in your marriage and in your work. So that when someone says, do you really believe homosexuality is wrong? You can go, yes, I do, because the Bible says it's wrong. End of story. That's not popular. That's not how the world sees it. But guess what? The world's wrong. We're right. You know what I mean? Third one. We all must seek the Lord's direction by asking daily, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to be? My daughter is a great one for always carrying witnessing tracks. I swear she's given the same track to the same woman 18 times. She just doesn't know she's done it. Every time we go to a store, if we go to JCPenney, she gives the lady a track. If we go to Cookout Burger, she gives them a track. If we go anywhere, she leaves a track. She leaves them in the bathroom. She leaves them on benches. I mean, God bless her. I'm not going to stop her. That's wonderful. That's wonderful because God's going to direct someone to those tracks, and they're going to read it, and they're going to hear about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's going to finish. All right, we are done. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for this time we've had to be in your house. Lord, thank you for the worship that we've experienced. Father, thank you for the testimony from Brother John and his wife. Lord, bless them as they go. Father, help us to know if we should support and how we should support and to what extent we should support them, Father. But Father, at least we can lift them up in prayer. At least we can pray, Lord, prepare a way for them as they go into Washington State. Lord, prepare souls that will receive Christ because of their ministry. Lord, we know the Holy Spirit is the reaper of the harvest. We are only the sowers and the waterers. But Father, help us to be faithful to what we are to do. Lord, I pray that each person here will pursue that, that opportunity to be believers 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that we can give all that we have. If there's anybody here today, Lord, who has not received you as Lord and Savior, if there's one person here, Lord, who doubts their salvation, who's not sure about that day of their rebirth, Father, I pray that before they leave this room today, they will take my hand and together we will go through the word and, today, and together we will be sure that their salvation is solid and firm. And Lord, now as we can close in worship, as we sing to you one more time, Father, receive the praise of your people. For Father, you are worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up.